Welcome back to the podcast. Over the next four weeks, I'm going to be playing some sermons that I gave from John chapter 13 and 14. In these two chapters, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. These disciples, they've spent the past three years with Jesus. They've seen him teach. They've seen him perform signs and wonders. They've seen him even raise people to life. But now he's leaving. And here in these chapters, the disciples are asking Jesus their final questions before he goes. And when we think about it, those questions about Jesus' absence, well, they still affect us today. Our situation is not that different from the disciples. It's not that different to John's readers. What do I mean? Well, Jesus says in these chapters, things for when he's gone. And that is the same situation we're in, isn't it? Jesus hasn't returned yet, so we're in the same situation. So as we look at these passages together, we should be on the edge of our seats. Jesus is saying these things with you in mind. Isn't that amazing? He's talking about things that affect us now. So let's hear these questions and hear the answers that Jesus gives. John chapter 14, verses 22 to 31. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I've spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, You'd be glad that I'm going to, my fa- to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come, now, let's leave. Let me pray. As we begin, Heavenly Father, we pray that as we come to your word now, that you would be speaking to us through it. Incline our hearts, open our eyes, and show us wonderful truths in your word this morning, we pray. Amen. Well, we're back in John 13 and 14 this morning for the fourth and final time. We've been looking at the questions that Jesus is asked before he leaves before he's arrested, before he's taken to the cross, before he's executed. Questions that the disciples have for him as they come to terms with him returning to the Father. Questions that affect the time when Jesus is gone, the time the disciples will live in, the time that we live in too. We've seen quite a few things, haven't we, over these past few weeks? 
We saw that Jesus going to the cross was not a mistake, but instead it's the way Jesus would be seen for who he really is. We then saw that Jesus is the only way to God. And then last week, we saw that if we have Jesus, we have enough. Is there something more to see? And you, Ratner, would get that one. What more could there be? If you have Jesus, you have it all. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. But all of that means that we have a big question. All of that means there is a big question this morning. A big question because Jesus is leaving. He's only been seen by a few people in a small area of a small nation in the middle of nowhere. What about the rest of the world? See, that question, it hasn't been lost on Judas. Just have a look at verse 22. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? See, Judas, he has clocked the situation. Jesus has said these things to the 11 disciples. He said these things to the small group of men that he's eating dinner with. Well, it's good for them. But what about the rest of the world? If Jesus is the way to know, to see, to please the Father, well, what about the rest of the world? How can the world see Jesus if he's gone? Perhaps you have that question this morning. If all of these things we've been talking about for the past few weeks rely on Jesus, well, what are we to do with him gone? Over the past few weeks, I've had the chance to sit in Hemel High Street. There are some benches on little bits of stone, and I've spent some time sitting there. And as I've done that, I've been watching the different people walk past me. As they walked past, the thought kept coming into my mind, how are these people going to see Jesus? The office worker balancing his coffee on his laptop. The mum trying to keep the reins on the children. The school child out on their holidays. See, this morning, I want us to picture someone in our minds. I want you to picture someone you know who doesn't know Jesus. Perhaps that's a friend. Perhaps that's a family member. Perhaps that's a colleague. Just fix that person into your mind. Have you got them? Great. Now let me ask you, how is that person going to see Jesus? How is that person going to see Jesus? Because that is the question that Judas is asking here. With Jesus gone, how is the world going to see him? How can the world see Jesus if he's gone? It's a big question, isn't it? And it, it needs an answer. Well, fortunately for us, that is exactly what Jesus does in these verses this morning. Everything that Jesus says is in reply to Judas's question. You can see that in the very first two words of verse 23. Jesus replied. So what does Jesus say? Well, the first thing I want us to see this morning is that Jesus' words show us Jesus. How can the world see Jesus if he's gone? Point one, if you're taking notes, by Jesus' words. Have a look at verses 23 and 24. Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them 
and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. You see, Jesus is setting up a contrast here. He's giving us two options, two options that are revolving around Jesus' teaching, or actually Jesus' words. Someone either loves Jesus or they don't. I mean, that's clear from the text, right? There's no fence post. There's no third option. You either love Jesus or you don't. And how does that show itself? Well, look at the verses again. Verse 23, it's either obeying Jesus' teaching or verse 24, it's not obeying his teaching. Now, when we say obeying, what we mean is keeping, guarding Jesus' words. See, this isn't a way to earn something. Rather, this is saying holding on to Jesus' words. Letting Jesus' words be the steer of your life. Reading, processing, digesting, listening, meditating on Jesus' words. Seeing in them the path to life. So we need to clock that order. As I said, this isn't a way of earning Jesus' love. It's because someone loves Jesus that they listen to him. It's because of what he's done for them that we, ex- we respect him. So it's someone who loves Jesus, who obeys Jesus' teaching. And it's someone who, respects Jesus, uh, someone who respects Jesus, cares about what Jesus says. And someone who doesn't love Jesus, well, they don't care for what he says. Because if you respect someone, you listen to their words, don't you? I mean, I think we all know that. Have you ever been in a situation where you think you are sure about something? You've thought it through, you've, you've read everything you can find, you've really done your homework. Then you bump into your friend, and they something, say something completely the opposite. What do you do? Well, you might be tempted to ignore them, but you end up listening, don't you? Why? Well, because it's your friend. You love them. You respect them. You know them. And it's the same here. If you love Jesus, if you respect Jesus, will you keep Jesus' words? John's highlighted that for us already, actually. Just before these four questions started, we were told about Judas Iscariot, who'd gone out into the night. See, Judas Iscariot, he hadn't loved Jesus. He hadn't obeyed Jesus' teaching. He went out to betray him. And John wants us to have him in mind here. He wants us to remember him. How do we know that? Well, in my class at school, there were two, two Davids. It's the most annoying situation ever. If you've ever been in a similar situation, well, you know how it goes. The teacher would call David, and two of us would answer, yes, miss. David, your mum's here. Great. Ah, not my mum. Ah, two boys getting, getting their things together. What ends up happening is something ends up distinguishing the two Davids. In this case, there was David with glasses and David without glasses. That's how primary school brains work, isn't it? Just pick something that's obvious, something on their face. Well, do you see what John does here? See, there were two Judases in this passage. There's Judas Iscariot and there's Judas not Iscariot. See, if I was the latter, I probably would not want that to be how I'm identified. And actually, he's not called Judas, not Iscariot, anywhere else in the Bible. Only here, only in John 14. Only in this passage here is he called Judas, not Iscariot. 
Elsewhere, he's called Judas, the son of James, more respectable. Or even better, he's called Thaddeus. That's his Greek name. So why does John call him Judas, not Iscariot? Why does he call him that here? Well, it's because in the name Judas, we're being given a spot the difference. John's giving us a question. And it is a sharp question. The question is this. Which Judas are you? What is it that makes the difference? What is it that makes one Judas different to another Judas? What is the difference between a worldly Judas and a Jesus-loving Judas? What makes an Iscariot and a not Iscariot? What does it say here? That's what you do with Jesus' words, isn't it? Do you obey or do you not obey Jesus' words? Do you love or do you not love Jesus? There's the difference. And that leads us to two different outcomes. Verse 23, to accept Jesus' words leads to knowing God. It leads to a relationship here and now with God. Verse 23, my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. That is big. Do you see what it's saying? God making his home with you. We saw at the start of that idea last week. It's a way of saying that the Holy Spirit will come and dwell in that person. In the person who keeps, respects Jesus' words. But verse 24, rejecting Jesus' words, well, it means rejecting the Father too. Look at verse 24. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. The options are stark, aren't they? It's black and white. So if you're on the fence this morning about Jesus' words, please get off it. Figure out what you're going to do this morning. Because no answer is actually a no answer. Please, if you haven't sorted this out yet, sort it out today. Because everything you need to know God is found in Jesus' words. Just look again, verse 23. What is that word there? Anyone. That anyone, it really does mean anyone. Anyone, absolutely anyone, can have a relationship with God. They can have God with them through Jesus' words. So which Judas are you this morning? It's a really striking question, isn't it? Which Judas are you? Are you the Judas who slunk out into the night? The one who's hated Jesus, who didn't keep, didn't obey Jesus' words? Or are you Judas not Iscariot? One who loves Jesus, who obeys his teaching, who listens to his words. Because it's Jesus' words that make the difference between these two Judases. So where do you, this morning, stand on Jesus' words? Do you delight in them? Do you despise them? Are they a lamp to your feet and a light to your path, or would you prefer they went away? See, where you stand with Jesus, where you stand on Jesus is shown by where you stand on his words. The two go together. You can't separate them. Because everything you need to see Jesus is found in his words. So can I encourage you to decide where you stand on Jesus' words today? Don't leave this school this morning without making a decision. And did you see? It's those who are serious about Jesus' words who have the Spirit dwell in them. 
Sometimes uh, in my job, I hear people say something like this. I want a more spiritual church. Usually what they mean is the difference between a formal, rigid church and a carefree, energetic church. But that's not the distinction in this passage, is it? See, both of those churches can be churches full of the Holy Spirit if, and only if, they're serious about Jesus' words. So that's point one. How can the world see Jesus if he's gone? By Jesus' words. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, if we have Jesus' words, we can have God dwell with us. Okay, I get that. But there's a step missing, isn't there? In fact, it's a step that this whole conversation is premised on because Jesus is leaving. In saying that his words are enough, well, how can people hear those words? How can that friend, that family member, that work colleague see Jesus? You still got them in your mind? Good. Because that leads us to our second thing to see this morning. How can the world see Jesus if he's gone? Well, point two, through the disciples' words. Now, when I say disciples, I'm talking about those 11 men hearing this. Just imagine how they're feeling. Jesus has said that his words are how people will see him. And then he says, verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you. It's like when the teacher says, what did I just say? Oh, notice Jesus is being very specific about who he's talking to here. We've gone from the anyone in verses 23 and 24 now to you, you, the disciples, these 11 men in that room with Jesus. Jesus is turning specifically to talk to them. Now, if you're a switched on disciple, you're probably thinking to yourself, oh dear, this, this all comes down to me then. And there is a lot riding on these 11 men. Just imagine their thoughts. If Jesus' words are that important, I'd better start taking notes. In fact, I should probably try and remember the last three years. Well, is that what we have here? Is this John's best attempt at writing down a bunch of his memories? I mean, if you're anything like me, remembering what I had for breakfast last week is hard enough, let alone remembering what Jesus said three years ago. Oh, dear. Is the world scuppered? How can the world see Jesus if he's gone? Well, are we really saying that we're just relying on 11 men with their fallible memories? Well, fortunately not. Have a look at verses 26 and 27. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. See, the thought of remembering Jesus' words it has the disciples worried. And Jesus knows that. He knows their hearts are troubled. He knows they're afraid. And so what does he do? And he gives them words of comfort. It's not the case that Jesus is leaving and with him goes everything he's ever said. Well, no, not at all. In fact, Jesus says these men will be given the Holy Spirit. We saw a bit of his work last week, didn't we? We saw him actually in Joel chapter 2. He was going to be another advocate, another, like Jesus, who's going to continue Jesus' work. And here we see what that's going to look like. Verse 26 again. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you 
of everything I have said to you. So we're not relying on 11 men's fallible memories. Instead, Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit, whom the Father sends, will be there to help. He will teach these men all things. He will remind these men of everything Jesus has said. See, that is what allows these men to write things down, to write down Jesus' words accurately. Just notice how much of Jesus' words they're going to remember. We're not talking about percentages. Just notice that word, verse 26, the word all. The word all means all. Nothing more, nothing less, all. All that God has to say to us can be found in these words that these 11 men will record for us. Now, let me be clear. This isn't everything that Jesus ever said. That's not what we're talking about here. But this is everything we need to know Jesus. Everything we need to see Jesus. And that helps us in two big ways. The first thing we can be sure of is that all of Jesus' words are here. Everything we need is in these words. And secondly, it means there's no other words out there. Not in another book, not in another man's head. If you want the definitive and final words of Jesus, you have them right here. So we can take confidence today in the disciples' words recorded for us here because of that. In fact, John really wants us to know that. He really wants us to get that these 11 men here, those who've been named, highlighted, underlined, lit up, he wants us to know that they have Jesus' words, that they have Jesus' teaching, and so they record those words for us. See, the final, full, complete, saving words of Jesus are here, reliably transmitted by these 11 men through the power of the Holy Spirit. These words of peace, as Jesus says in verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The peace that Jesus is talking about here is peace with God. Peace with God because of the cross. Peace with God, therefore, found in these saving words. Not peace like the world gives, but peace with God himself. So as Jesus goes to the cross, peace with God is secured. And so the gospel, Jesus' words, can go out into the world. They can announce that peace. The peace that's going to allow these guys to know that, although the world around them is against them, they have everything they need. The peace that comes from knowing that these men have life. The peace that comes from Jesus taking the punishment for their sins on the cross and bringing them into a relationship with God. See, if you are looking for peace this morning, come hear more about the Lord Jesus and the cross. Because that peace is available to all. Peace with God brought for us by the Lord Jesus. Peace with God contained here in Jesus' words. Peace with God found in the gospel. See, the words, the teaching you have in your hands, whether bound in a book, printed on a piece of paper, even glowing on your phone, those words are Jesus' words. Those words are words of life. Those words allow anyone, anyone to love Jesus. 
words that allow anyone to have God dwell with them this morning. Words that have been passed on to us by those 11 disciples. The words of Jesus through the disciples, enabled by the Holy Spirit, as he taught and reminded them everything Jesus said to them. So in this book, this very book, we have Jesus' words. That's how the world can see Jesus today, through his very words right here. John tells us that's exactly what he means, actually. When you turn to the end of his gospel in John 20, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Do you get what this means? If what we have is Jesus' words, and those words are everything we need to know God here and now, then we have all we need. We have life. But the question is, do we really believe that? I mean, we can say we are a word-centered church, can't we? We can have it in our slogan, word, community, mission. But even then, what Jesus says here is a real challenge. It's through Jesus' words that anyone can have a relationship with God, which means it's not through answers, clever answers to questions. It's not through acts of kindness. It's not even through impressive speakers. It is through the words right here. For a word-centered church, if we really believe that, we're going to want to talk about this. So what might that look like? Well, just imagine someone's come up to you and they said, I want to know God. You might give them a book to read. You might get them to listen to a podcast. And those things might be helpful, but what would Jesus say? He's told us here already, hasn't he? Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. See, if we focus on anything other than Jesus' words, well, we're missing a trick. For people investigating, for young Christians, for even Christians at 20, 30, 40 years in. If you want to know, Jesus, you want to know God, it's Jesus' words that you need. Is that where we turn? So many other things we could focus on, so many other things we could be doing. But since these words are Jesus' words, since these words bring life, since these words are how we see Jesus, why would we want to focus anywhere else? How can the world see Jesus if he's gone? By Jesus' words through the disciples, what we have right here. So where we got to? Well, anyone can have God dwell with them by Jesus' words. And where do we find Jesus' words? Well, we find them here, recorded for us by the Spirit-indwelled disciples. And the very final part of this logic, how are these words going to make that all happen? Well, that's the answer that verses 28 to 31 give us. Because of the cross. How can the world see Jesus if he's gone? Because of the cross. Our third and final thing to see. See, in verses 28 to 31, Jesus is underlining everything he said. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. 
I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. See, verse 28, Jesus has said already that he's going away. He's already said he's going to the cross. But the disciples, they're still worried. I mean, can you blame them? They don't want Jesus to leave. And so Jesus picks it up in verse 28. Now, as I read it, that verse might have worried you. What does Jesus mean when he says, the Father is greater than I? Well, what it can't mean is that Jesus is less than God. Because that would destroy everything he has said before this. Just remember what Jesus said to Philip last week. Verse 9, if you want to see it. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So no, that can't be what Jesus is saying here. And that wouldn't make the disciples glad either, would it? Verse 28, if you loved me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father. I mean, how would the Father being greater than the Son in that way be something to make the disciples glad? Now, what we're talking about when we say the Father is greater, we're talking about glory. Remember, Jesus will soon be returning to the Father, back to the place of glory. And that's going to make the disciples glad. Why is it going to make them glad? Because it means that Jesus has finished his job. Jesus has finished the job of making God known. He's finished the job of showing God. There's nothing more to show after this. Jesus has done it all. It's finished. And so if the disciples grasp that, they're going to grasp that they have everything they need. They have all the revelation of God. All of it. Jesus returning to that greater position is something to be glad about because it means Jesus' job is complete. And so when Jesus goes to the cross, the disciples can know that they have it all. When he goes to the cross, they can know, they can really clock that. As Jesus says, verse 29, I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. So when Jesus is arrested, the disciples can know it's not an accident. When Jesus is hung on a cross, they'll know that it's all finished. When he dies, they'll know that nothing has gone wrong. But instead, there's nothing more to be said. They have it all. So rather than a tragic mistake, it's through the cross that the world learns who Jesus is. Verses 30 and 31. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. As Jesus goes to the cross, he said everything there is, everything that needs to be said. And so as he goes to the cross and he's held up for all to see, well, then the world can see exactly who he is. The world can see Jesus. It brings us full circle. As the world sees Jesus hanging on the cross, they can know that the Father loves the world so much. As the world sees Jesus on the cross, they can see what it takes to bring about that peace with God. As the world sees Jesus on the cross, they can know that he does love the Father and does everything the Father commands him. And that's what the words, what Jesus' words through the disciples say to the world around us. Everything that Jesus has said in this whole series has rested on him going to the cross. That is how anyone, absolutely anyone, can come to God. 
can have peace with God, can have God dwell with them by the Holy Spirit. Even that person you've been thinking of. How can the world see Jesus if he's gone? By Jesus' words, through the disciples, because of the cross. How will that friend, that family member, that colleague you're thinking of see Jesus? By Jesus' words, through the disciples, because of the cross. See, what we have here is immensely powerful. What we have here is how the whole world can see Jesus. So if you're tracking with what I'm saying, if that's true, well, what's stopping you with that person you're thinking of? I don't know what your friend thinks. I don't know how resistant your family is. I don't know how hard your office is. But I do know this. Anyone. Anyone can come to God through Jesus' words found here. So what's holding you back? I've been massively challenged by this this week. You see, we have everything we need for someone to know God right here. And Jesus says so. And that means you don't need to know all the answers. It means you don't need to remember everything. It means you don't even have to get it all right. All you need are Jesus' words through the disciples because of the cross. Brothers and sisters, this morning, what you hold in your hands is powerful. So what are you going to do with it? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you would really help us to see what it is we hold in our hands. Thank you that through these very words, the words of Jesus, anyone can come to know you and have you dwell with them. Would those unsure where they stand on Jesus' words be able to make that decision this morning? Would those who need encouragement in evangelism find that here this morning? Thank you that we don't need to know all the answers, but instead we can simply share these words of life with others around us. Father, we pray that you'd be driving us out in mission this morning to those around us. And Father, we pray particularly uh, for that person we've had in our minds this morning. Father, we pray that you'd help us to speak to that person, give us the opportunity and give us boldness. And Father, enable us to help one another here as a church in doing that. In the name of the risen Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions, you can send them to podcast at david-couch.com. See you next time.